welcome back to the social sanctuary. Today I'm chatting to Lucy Shrimpton. Lucy is one of the world's leading child sleep experts, founder of the Sleep Nanny and the Sleep Nanny Academy, and author of the Sleep Nanny System. She has helped thousands of tired parents and children around the world to win bedtime battles and finally gain the gift of a good night's sleep. Through the Sleep Nanny Academy, Lucy trains people to become certified sleep consultants and continues to mentor in her graduate programme, combining insights from psychology, sleep, parenting and wellness Lucy is able to help parents all over the world to live happy, healthy and fulfilling lives. Lucy also has her own popular podcast, The Sleep Nanny Show, where she interviews well-known parents and entrepreneurs and influencers about their experiences and gives advice. Thanks for joining me today, Lucy. Could you tell the listeners a bit more about what you do in in The Sleep Nanny Academy? Of course. Thanks, Harvey. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, So, yeah, you've answered lots of that in my introduction beautifully. And um, what I do uh, with the Sleep Nanny is help tired parents get their little ones to sleep, which is such a huge topic. It's the number one topic talked about among parents. It's very confusing um, and understandably so, because actually the solutions are very unintuitive um and so having a steer is usually needed in order for a parent to find the answers to get their little ones to sleep better so we um that's what we do with the sleep nanny and with sleep nanny academy i train people to become a sleep consultant and deliver that service so basically do what i do um, and provide that training that guidance that coaching support to families to help them to get their little ones to sleep um, so that, in a nutshell, is is what we do, um, and it really does make a massive difference to families' lives when they are getting the sleep they need. Yeah, I can imagine. I wish there was um, something like that around when I was younger, because I had uh, plenty of uh, sleep difficulties. Yeah, how important is it for little ones to have um, a routine to get into a good sleeping pattern? It really does help. Routine creates those patterns, like you say, and it actually helps to reinforce things like our circadian rhythms, our body clock. And so having those routines are what sort of, uh, you know, trigger those patterns. Some people don't like the idea of routine because they think it's going to be very regimented, whereas other people love routine. But what I would say is actually think of routine more like rhythm. It doesn't need to be like regimented to the very minute of the same time every single day. It's more of a rhythm. And when you understand the rhythms that your little one needs, which, of course, evolve right through baby and childhood. But when you understand those rhythms, you understand like, how much time they need to be awake for or you know when they need to be going back to sleep again. You just start to tune into the rhythms, which will then mean they can settle to sleep more easily and then get longer, more restorative sleep, which is the good sleep that they really need. So, yeah, routine is where it begins. But for people who are scared of the word routine, as I say, think of it more like a, a rhythm. And and it's important for you to carry that sleep routine through to adult life as well, because if you've never had any sleep routine, then you, you just don't have a, a good sleep pattern at all. Absolutely. Yeah. And adults now, you know, especially in the changes we've had in the world and added worries and anxieties and all kinds of other things, you know, if we're 
staying up really late some nights, going to bed early other nights, and you know, patterns become all over the place. We don't get the same quality of sleep. So actually by going to bed at roughly the same kind of time and then starting the day at roughly the same kind of time each day, we have better rhythms as adults as well. It's okay to have the odd late, late night at the weekend. And if you're going to get a catch up sleep in the morning, you know, that works too. But if it's always all over the place, it does have an impact on the quality of sleep. Absolutely. How much sort of variation would you say is okay in a routine? So say if I decided to go to bed like an hour later than usual, does that have a huge impact or does it not matter so much? An hour later, you know, on the odd odd night or two in the week isn't going to have a huge impact, no. But if it were, if you, you know, three or four nights in a row, you're kind of getting later and later and you're still having to start the day at the same time, then that's going to really start to catch up with you. It's a bit like a, a tank. And if the tank is running too low, yeah, it really does create that deficit. But if you're catching up, so this is where, you know, naps or lions can help. And if you have the luxury of going, okay, do you know, I stayed up late last night working on this project, but I slept in a bit in the morning, then you'll be okay. It's more it, thinking of it as like the overall tank and whether it's running low and, and topping it up when you need to. Yeah, routine is is important. But like you said, it's it doesn't matter too much if there's a, a bit of a variation there. You appeared in an article recently about creating um, kind of the perfect nursery for, for parents that are expecting. Are there any myths that you need to kind of say that it doesn't matter if if you have certain types of things in the nursery? Are there any tips for, for creating the perfect environment for um, parents that are expecting their the first child? Yeah, definitely. So... An ideal nursery or, you know, room for a little one is going to be it's going to be soothing and you want it to be conducive to sleep. But that doesn't mean it has to be bland and boring. You know, people worry about stimulation and I'll explain what to avoid in a second. But people worry about stimulation to the point that they're afraid to put patterned wallpaper up or, you know, they're afraid to do, put any um, pretty things in the room or decorate if, the, if it's going to stimulate the child. Actually, that's fine. Decor is fine. Make it how you want to make it. Make it that special place. It's more about um, when it's time to go to sleep and initially a little one baby's not going to be in their own room anyway they're more likely to be sleeping in the parents room at night but once they do go into their own room the lights are going to go out and what you don't want is then to have light stimulation so the things to avoid the old-fashioned mobiles that hang over cots mm-hmm. are no good for sleep and that is uh, an old myth you know put a mobile over the cot and it mesmerizes the child it doesn't it encourages them to keep their eyes open and we want them to close their eyes because that's the first step to going to sleep so a visual distraction like that is not helpful and especially nowadays we have all these light projectors and light shows and parents think oh well just press this button and it puts all these lights on and displays and plays lullabies but actually that's really stimulating so those are the things to avoid but once the lights go down your general decor in the room is not going to be overly stimulating because it's going to be nice and dark and it should be nice and dark I obviously to parents think of it like an eight out of ten dark if ten was like can't see your hand in front of your face um then you want it really really quite dark you need to 
block out any natural light. So as we go into the lighter months of the year, you need to make sure that daylight isn't creeping in. There are lots of clever blinds that can do that. And you also, if you do need some light, like for feeding or just to see around, a dim red or amber nightlight is a great option because it doesn't mess with uh, night vision and it also doesn't mess with the melatonin production, which brighter lights do and blue lights do. So a dim nightlight is okay. And then lastly, I guess, is the temperature. So you know, trying to regulate that somewhere between 18 to 20 degrees is ideal. You don't want little ones getting too cold, but you also don't want them getting too warm. And it's a constant worry of parents. You know, yeah. it, <laughs> do I put them in this? Are they going to get too hot? Did they wake up because they're too cold? I mean, generally, if you've got the temperature in that range, you're going to be okay. Can it make a difference as well if you do have a, a night light on when you're sleeping? Because um, I, I remember I always used to sleep with a, a night light. Yeah, it can. It, and this white needs to be the right kind of light. So if it's really dim and it's red or amber in colour, that should not have any impact on sleep. And that's fine. And especially when children get to you know, late preschool, early school age, and they start to become quite conscious about these fears, kiddies talk or they watch things on TV and they start, you know, being afraid of what they can't see. Um, so actually it can be quite comforting. It can, you know, it's reassuring for them to have that little little bit of light that allows them to see around, but that doesn't interfere with sleep. So that's where to go if you need the light. Um, but if people have things like, you know, TVs on or blue light coming in or bright lights, then it really can interfere with the sleep. Is it good for children to have so much screen time? It's such a battle in this modern age for parents and myself included with my children now at their ages of eight and 10. It's really, really difficult because it's on tap, isn't it? 24-7. And whether it's the TV or a mobile device, there's always something to entertain them on a screen with. Whereas when I was a child, it was, you know, after school TV till four o'clock and pretty much that was all you could get. So we would go outside or we would find other things to do. So it's definitely a big challenge. I think it's one that we battle with all time as parents. I think the key to remember with sleep and so that it doesn't interfere with sleep is to uh, try to disconnect from all media and screens for a good hour before bedtime. If they can have that clear hour, I mean, experts will say, you know, two hours is better, but it can be a bit unrealistic when you're a busy parent and you're trying to juggle things and you've got, you know, and children come home from school, there's only so much time you have. So I think to be a little bit more manageable if you can say look we're going to have a clear hour like screens go off maybe it's meal time um play a game read a book do a puzzle or entertain your child with a slow bath time um if it's okay to get outside go outside that's fine but to come away from screens for a good hour before bed really helps it also will help to not have too much during the day and having too much during the day can interfere with the night sleep so they might seem fine they might settle fine, but then they might be awake in the night and it might be really random when we've seen this massively in the pandemic with homeschooling children who are learning through computers all day long and they're suddenly waking at 3am and they're just like, bing, wide awake. And I do believe there's a connection to that and the added time on screens. So, Yeah, that's interesting to hear because you wouldn't think that screen time in the day could affect a, a night's sleep, but... 
it's not good for any of us to spend so much time online. No, and and yet we do, and we will more and more, and you know, so many more people are online now more than ever before, through necessity. So, I think it is important for adults as well um, as children to take care of that. You know, if you are, if you can't avoid it, and you're on a computer all day. I mean, I am regularly on a computer all day long, but having blue light glasses or some of the screens now have settings so that you can protect your eyes that will will help with sleep as well as eye health. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Definitely. So through your experience working with um, different parents and clients, do you have any good hacks for people that are looking for their children to get to sleep sooner or if the children are having trouble sleeping? Is there anything you'd advise? Definitely. um, There are two key areas I would advise parents to look at and take almost like a little overview on and one of those is overtiredness is your child overtired and that can be hard to spot so if a little one is really resisting bedtime you're really struggling to settle maybe they're trying all kinds of tactics to delay things and they just or, or maybe they're upset whatever they're doing to delay bedtime um could be because they're actually overtired and this is one of those counterintuitive things because they will display behaviors that would suggest they're not ready to go to sleep but actually they're beyond ready to go to sleep they're so overtired that they're they're almost like into that second wind and and can sometimes be a bit like the Duracell bunny and seem like they're never going to stop so always look for could they be overtired and a good way to to know that is to understand what the sleep needs look like at their age so you know ideally how much sleep should they be having at night it's typically 11 to 12 hours in most of the young childhood Um, should they still be napping in the day how long for and how many times and if you we provide loads of answers for that through all the different ages and I have loads of free resources online to share that information so get that information know what your child ought to be doing and then see if they're falling close to or way off of those parameters because it could be overtiredness and the other piece of the puzzle that's hugely common um, as well as overtiredness is the sleep onset so the falling to sleep it's actually a learned skill and a lot of people don't realize that it's a learned skill so they don't just get it and parents are like well, well they'll just they'll figure it out when they're ready they don't just get it they or taught it in some way. Now, of course, over a long, long time, and I mean years, they will get it, but that's because they have learned it, but they've had to learn it like the hard way, the long way, the slow way. But actually by encouraging them good routines, good rhythms, and a bit of guidance, you can help them to really master that skill of being able to fall to sleep um, really effectively, you know, really happily, calmly, And it's not a case of, so many people think this, they think that to teach a child to fall to sleep on their own without the parent having to do something to them or do something for them, people think that you have to put them down and walk away and leave them to it and leave them to cry. And that could not be further from the truth. You absolutely don't need to do that. You wouldn't, for example, you wouldn't put a child on a bike with two wheels and go, Mm -hmm. go on then. You ride it, off you go. You'd start them off with stabilizers. You'd then go, well, let's take the stabilizers off and you hold them up and you basically support them, help them and ease off on your help until they've got it and then off they go. And it's the same with sleep. 
they do need your help they do need your support they need your guidance so it's not do it for them or do nothing there's actually a very nice happy medium and a process where you can ease up on doing it for them do it with them help them until they've got it and then you'll have a really good healthy skilled sleeper that's great yeah so I I guess that's why things like bedtime stories are really positive just for that comfort blanket in a way absolutely yeah connection comfort and the story doesn't put them to sleep but it helps them settle into a good state ready to go to sleep so for parents that are are struggling during lockdown um are there any activities that they can do in in the day or or the evening to keep kids entertained that aren't necessarily putting them in front of a screen like what we were talking about earlier yeah absolutely so having time during the day if you can get outside definitely getting them outside is really really good for them it's not just the fresh air but the sunlight the vitamin d just the being outside is so so good for them that's been harder in the winter of course and if we have several days of cold and wet weather it's not something any of us particularly want to go and do but getting out whenever you can is is going to be good um and i think parents with children going back to school and spending a lot more time outside they're going to see that they're more sleepy and probably start sleeping better taking that time to to like you said do activities together when we're busy parents and some you know so many parents are juggling work and children and that evening time can become a bit of a flurry but just taking time to say no we're just going to fully focus on each other right now and age appropriately you know play a game of some sort it it might just be stacking cups for little babies or toddlers or it could be a full-on board game for you know young children so whatever it may be but time to have that connect and that unwind and to step away from as you say the media screens um and and have that calm it's definitely reassuring and the other thing that i really love about it is it gives children a a chance to unload because children take on so much in their little minds and even the younger ones that can't fully express that if they if they're feeling fractious they can sort of let those emotions out or if they're a little bit older and they've got some worries they can share those thoughts and it gives that time for almost like a brain dump (laughs) um rather than saving it up till bedtime and then going oh it's bedtime now I've got my parents' attention. And then, you know, for a younger one who doesn't really know what they're feeling, it could come out in just, you know, playful or funny antics or, you know, mischievous stuff that they're just really just doing things for attention. And for like slightly older children or worried children, they might go, oh, now let's have a good old chat about all these things. And it's like, okay, now's not the time. It's time to go to sleep. So actually by opening the door to having that time before bedtime, whether it's during playing a game or, or whatever, it just gives children a chance to go, I've got you, I've got your full attention and I've got it now. So rather than waiting for bedtime to be that time, having that beforehand, yeah. Giving them that attention is is really important. How much does um, a good diet affect children's sleep as well? Can it yeah. have a big impact? It can. I mean, too much sugary food late in the evening is going to wire them. I mean, (laughs) I have a rule in my house and the the children, if they haven't finished their meal and, and, you know, had anything 
if they're going to have a sweet thing afterwards that that's done by a set time and if it's not then it's too late you know because they'll just be buzzing so yeah I think particularly making you know the the cut off, the having a cutoff point for anything too sugary um at the end of the day and then just throughout the day as well you know not loading them up on too much in the way of sort of squashes or sugary things this isn't just for sleep i think just generally you know for their teeth for their health and for their mood and you know it's been linked to mood you know healthy healthier foods water-based foods getting lots of veggies and all these things are actually really good for our energy and our mood so um yeah it does make a difference and also the myth there's a bit of a myth that if you tank a child up like last thing um that they'll sleep better and that you know if, if they have loads of milk or an old-fashioned thing was put, putting sort of like melted down rusks and things like that in the milk to really fill them up but actually it that is not the key to helping a child sleep if anything you'll give them digestive problems <laughs> so um i highly advise against that but making sure they're getting a balanced diet throughout the day and taking on enough calories through the day so that they're not hungry in the night time um yeah that will really help I guess there's loads of those old-fashioned um, sayings and myths that, that still go around that are just really outdated now. Yeah, they're all, absolutely, yeah. The well-meaning <laughs> grandparents who who say, oh, I've tired them out for you. They're going to sleep well tonight. And like, no, don't tire them out. Because, <laughs> yes, you want them to be tired, but that if they're overtired, it's going to make for a awful night or a really early start to the day so and they just grandparents wouldn't know or understand that because it's information that wasn't available until recently and naps a good or bad thing for children during the daytime is it is it a bad habit to get into especially as they start to get a bit older napping it's absolutely vital and this is the thing I think you know sometimes it can become difficult and a little one will resist a nap and it's instinctive to go oh they don't seem to want this nap anymore okay then and just kind of go with the flow but actually it's having that greater knowledge to go okay no no my child doesn't want to have a nap but they do need to have a nap. And classically around sort of age two, uh, they really don't want to nap. Their, you know, life is far too far and there's so many things to see and do. And the idea of stopping and going for a nap is not a two-year-old's, you know, favourite thing to do. But they absolutely still need a nap at age two. They need a good two hours in the day. So it's really important to, to trust that you know better as a parent and go like, I know you don't seem to want this nap, but you absolutely do need it. And staying in healthy nap patterns, they, they need naps to at least age three. And some will nap until they're you know well into age four, depending on their character and their sleep needs individually. But yeah, at least age three, some kind of nap. Yeah, that's that's great advice. You spoke earlier as well about um, fears, nighttime fears. And um, what causes those really? Because I mean, I had some bizarre ones as as a child. One of them was uh, I don't know if you remember the huge earthquake from two thousand and eight. I don't know if if it affected you, but yeah, that I, that woke me up, and then I was scared to sleep for ages after that. Wow, yeah, that that kind of thing can have a massive impact, and it's gonna it's gonna create insecurities and worries, and of course, you know, the idea of going to sleep 
and we don't necessarily know what's going on when we're asleep and that's that fear of what could happen while I'm asleep I think has an impact things like that like you described an earthquake a big event and um, whether it affected you directly and you were there or you know and lived through it or whether it's something that happened in another part of the world and you've seen and heard about it can still have the same kind of effect on the on the mind because ultimately it's it's only the, the fears are only coming from thoughts and those thoughts you can have them whether it's you know an experience or a, a theoretical so yeah things like that and of course with younger children it, they might not be um as aware of great disasters but they are going to see things and pick up little hints of things and even some of the like most popular tv shows for kids they've got little hints of things about ghosts or like you know they're, they're supposed to be playful and it's supposed to be fun but they still plant little seeds that some children will really for some it will go over their head but for others they'll really stew on that and, and other reasons that kiddies start to have you know thoughts that can disrupt their sleep um can just be the things they're hearing around them we don't always realize we might be on the phone talking to a friend or a parent and some of the words we use a child's picking up on little bits of it and they hear adults talking they hear the radio they hear something on the news in the background and they don't really know what it's about but they they can sense if something's negative or worrying and if your parents are worried you're going to feel worried so um it's really important for parents to have an awareness of what their children's little ears are exposed to um and what they're taking in because yeah it can it can pop up in the subconscious mind in sleep and then that's when we go and then you have the nightmares or you're awake because of those thoughts yeah yeah i guess it's it's something you can't always control i mean i i picked up stuff from the news when i was younger that affected sleep so it's um yeah i guess like you said you never really know where where children are picking these things up from but the, t- the tiniest things can can have a huge effect really massively yeah yeah which is why we have to really look for it as a parent because you you might be completely unaware that your child's pick you might think that you're you know you, you're not having these conversations or you know you think that your child's not picking those things up but if you look really closely you can usually find where they're seeing or hearing things and of course when they get a bit bigger it could be other children you know other children picking it up and sharing it with your child you you've spoken as well a lot about um tips for how to tell your children if you're divorcing and that's a, a difficult issue do you have any advice there for just not even divorcing but any difficult issues how to raise them with with your children yeah, it does come up and and sometimes we have parents come to us to help with their child's sleep and there's a real divide even there with the parents' views and one feels one way and one feels the other way. And it can be very difficult if parents aren't a united front with children, um, but with the best will in the world, sometimes they aren't and it can leave a child really sort of pulled in two directions. So I think when it comes to separations, divorce, that kind of thing, you know, the parents breaking down and anything like that, I think children, again, it depends on their age, depends on their awareness. If they're really little, they're more likely to, to kind of cruise over it and they'll be okay. They, they won't remember so much. But when they are more aware, they know what's going on, I think 
most parents would try to protect their child from any parental disagreements anyway and that you know arguing in front of a child is not going to be in any way helpful so I, I think that kind of goes without saying I'd like to think but they will have anxieties about it or they may be picking up on your your concerns or your anxieties and you know being being honest but not oversharing is the way I I look at it with children is you you don't want to lie or deny what's potentially happening and if they ask you it's finding a gentle way of being honest but also not oversharing they don't need to know all the ins and outs or all the reasons and they don't need one parent um being you know mean or derogatory about the other parent that's not going to help them because ultimately you're both their parents and always will be so you know even if you are not the biggest fan of your partner at that time it's not letting your child know that because it can massively affect them psychologically um for the long term and then of course then letting making sure they really know that they are loved that they are you know, so important to you um and they don't then feel that sort of sense of abandonment or rejection so i think those are the things to try to watch for and if parents if they can be on the same team when it comes to their children at least then it's going to be the biggest benefit for their children thank you for sharing that i'm sure lots of people will find that um really helpful so where can we find out more about um you and, and the sleep nanny so you'll find everything over on our website which is sleepnanny.co.uk if you want to check us out on social media, we're on Instagram at Sleep Nanny Official. We're also on Facebook and YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, which is Lucy Shrimpton. You'll find loads of videos and tips. You can literally go in and binge watch like everything you want to know about child sleep. So that's a great place for somebody who's looking for maybe some free resources. Um, but if you need more help, then head over to the website. You can always schedule a call with my team um, and we can hook you up with a solution. We have different programs to suit different needs. So if it's sleep, we've got you. If you think this all sounds amazing and I think I could be a sleep consultant, then you definitely want to look at the Sleep Nanny Academy and um, the training that we offer there as well. So yeah, the website is sleepnanny.co.uk. Amazing. Thanks, Lucy. And thanks for all of the fantastic tips and advice you've shared as well on today's episode. You're most welcome. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much to Lucy for an awesome chat on today's episode of The Social Sanctuary. I've learned so much about sleep today and I hope that you have too. You can purchase Lucy's book, The Sleep Nanny System, a parent's guide to creating sleep solutions tailored to your family on Amazon for your Kindle or as a paperback. And don't forget to check out Lucy's podcast, The Sleep Nanny Show, which I've included a link to in the show notes. If you've enjoyed today's episode, why not follow us on Instagram at The Social Century Podcast or find me on Twitter at Harvey Morton IT. And if you want to support the show, you can donate using the link in the description. I'll see you next time for another episode of The Social Sanctuary.